So now I have the pleasure of introducing today's speaker, Peter Evis. Please join me in welcoming Peter. Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Um, so uh, it's good to be here. Um, most of you know me. My name is Peter. I'm a longtime member of the River Church and uh, uh, sometimes get the chance to get behind the pulpit and um, say some things, which is what I'm doing today, obviously. Um, before I do that, I wanted to just comment on some of Sarah's announcements, just sort of weigh in and, you know, is that okay? Yeah, I mean, okay. So, like, the, the River Kids um, thing, helping out in the summer is a really, really fun thing to do. I, I recently became a sort of, like, River Kids teacher, and, you know, I have pretty grown-up kids now, and so it was a really nice chance to sort of get to hang out with some of those younger kids again, and, like, that's really fun. I forgot how fun it is to, like, you know, do things with, like, you know, five-year-olds. And I would seriously recommend, if you've got kids and they're all grown up, you can get to hang out with the mushuganas, you know, like that, you know. So, and they're, and they're, and they're great, and they're, like, um, really fun. And so please, please think about pitching in this summer. Uh, second thing I wanted, on the, on the uh, Blue Ocean Book Club, is it 8.30 cutoff, really? Do you really finish at 8.30? Yeah. Okay. Uh, out of the house. See, my, my book clubs, they go on all night. You don't want to... You don't, want, you don't really want people in your house, do you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, and then the third thing, let's say, for example, you have a, an engagement when you're not able to be in church next Sunday, maybe because your child has a soccer match. How would you be able to buy some art and then donate to Asha in the process? Could you do that? Anybody? Yeah, you'll get back to me? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's good to know. All right. Um, great. That's, that's a lot of business there. Um, right, okay. So um, just wanted to also mention that Jennifer Kenny gave me some very good encouragement on my way up here. She said, don't disappoint us. So, <laughs> yeah. so good job, yeah, exactly. It's how she... I have a sort of a tickly throat. I brought my own water because I knew none of you guys would actually bring me any of it. <laughs> anyway, so we're in this sermon series called um, This Changes Everything. And um, as, as you, some of you have been here know, and, and it explores the events um, in the days, in the four weeks uh, after the resurrection, a period known as Eastertide, a, a word I'd not heard until this year amazingly. shows you what sort of church background I have. And, um, and, and in this series, um, you know, we're looking at the stuff that happened after the resurrection, and it's a little bit like, like one of those movies where, you know, there's a lot of meaningful things happen after the main part of the plot is over. Do you know what I mean? Like, so if the main end to the story in some ways seemed to be the resurrection, um, you get all this other interesting stuff in the aftermath of the resurrection during Eastertide, and so it's kind of like one of those movies where that happens. I don't know if you have you seen Ocean's Eleven. I mean, can I talk about that movie without doing any spoilers? I mean, it's like 12 years old. Can I? Yeah. All right. Okay. I must have spent like five hours looking for a movie. No, I didn't. Um, and um, but you know what happens? They pull off the heist, and then you have all these really interesting things that happens afterwards. You know, like 
with the girl and the guy and everything like that. So, um, and that's kind of what this Easter Tide series is like. You get the big event, and then you get all this really super interesting stuff that happens there that, that actually like prepares for the sequel, which is kind of like Gospel 2.0, which is you know, you know, the the the, the disciples going off and doing all these big things under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the sequel to the Gospels, but you have this little bit which we're looking at now in the interim, okay? So in this period, uh, Jesus stayed with the disciples for like 40 days, and he was doing things that seemed to be designed to like solidify their faith um, and get them ready for thinking about what was coming next, primarily the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, and today we're going to look at what is known as the Ascension, Okay, which is when Jesus goes up to heaven. It was the point at which he was no longer physically with the disciples. And in the moment before he ascended, Jesus called the disciples to something big. Like he described, he gave them an outline of an adventure that they could have. And if they chose to pursue it, it would define their lives and bring them closer to God and bring God closer to other people. Now, of course, they would face many trials along the way. Some of them were absolutely terrible, but um, the endeavor was going to be worth it. Uh, you know, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that. And so before Jesus ascended, Jesus called the disciples, okay? If they chose to accept this call, they would have like a calling on their lives, okay? And, um, you know, calling is a very sort of religious word, isn't it? You don't hear it very much outside of the church, for instance. And, you know, I use it sometimes, and over a decade ago, I felt called to stop being a journalist, which is kind of like my trade, and pastor a church. Um, it was very much worth pursuing that calling. It didn't really work out as planned, um, and because I'm a journalist again. But at the time, I felt called to do my job. Do you know what I mean? You've heard that word if you've been around the church long enough. And, um, and you know, it's one of those things that Christians say. And I think some of us probably have, you know, negative, um, you know, reactions or feelings when we hear the word calling. Um, we may have embarked on what we thought was a religious calling and ended up feeling lonely or burned out or used. And also, we might, it might not have been terrible, but we didn't really enjoy it for some reason. I mean, the religious mindset is very, very good at convincing itself that, 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 that it must do some sort of bold, even sacrificial, brave acts um, if a certain goal is going to be achieved. Um, and then it doesn't really know how to deal with failure, or it doesn't even know how to recognize failure sometimes. And these religious callings can also feel somewhat disconnected from how things really are in the real world. You know, but that's because the, the emphasis in callings and religious callings is often on the person doing the big thing for God, rather than the people who will be affected by the acts that that person is doing. And to me, that whole starting dynamic seems off. Okay, and that's not something that you know I came to see later on, and it's not something that I'm a huge fan of. And so one of the the big aims here at the river, and one of the reasons that me and my family have been part of it for, for some years, is that we try to take a more connected, kind of open-hearted approach to faith, and one that certainly doesn't dismiss other people's realities, the way that they actually live. And, and, we, and you know, here at the river, we've you know, often looked at things that Christians insist are necessary for a strong faith, and concluded that sometimes those things might undermine God's desire to bring people closer together and closer to him. 
And, and so my hope today is to describe how a, a calling can kind of work in our lives. And, and, and I just want to make a couple of important insights before we move on and, and look at the passage. And the first is that there are, of course, callings in the secular world. I think we've probably wrapped in, up in them right now, some of us. And they can be as vulnerable um, to pitfalls as religious callings. You know, Sing, secular callings can be as you know just as single-minded, all-consuming, just as detached from reality. Think of the times maybe when you've been part of a very demanding workplace. Perhaps you worked at a startup for a while, or maybe you've been involved in something in politics or something like that. And the same sort of problems can occur, you know, burnout, an inability to deal with failure, loneliness, division, disillusion, all those things. And, and again, the other side I want to make it very clear is that, you know, we at the river, you know, at times being part of the river, I have felt that our calling to be a certain type of church has at times had unpleasant side effects. So, like, no one is immune, okay? We're not putting ourselves on a pedestal here. Um, you know, the calling on our church has at times captured us and held us back in certain ways. And so it seems to me that I can speak to everyone today. It seems that if you do anything with a certain amount of or a large amount of passion and you feel like you have this calling on your lives, the potential for pitfalls will crop up, okay? It seems to be part of the deal. So... With all that said, let's talk today um, about how we can enjoy our callings, avoid some of the dangers, and pursue them to bring people closer to God. And so let's start with our passage. It comes from the book of Acts right at the very beginning. And the book of Acts comes directly after the four Gospels in the New Testament. It was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And today's passage details Jesus' interactions with the disciples, and then it sort of ends today with his ascension. And it refers to some of the things that we've already looked in this, at in this sermon series, but that's okay because it nicely sums up the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. And so here goes. In the first book, O Theophilus, is it Theophilus? Yeah, okay. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, Theophilus means friend of God, okay? So Luke could be addressing his book to any friend of God. Anyone who considers himself a friend of God um, would be reading this book and think, oh, that's me. And you should think like that. That should be you, okay? Or Theophilus could be an actual person. So no one's actually sure, but take it as friend of God, all right? And just embrace that, okay? Um, He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptized means filled to overflowing, okay? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
So let's, let's use this passage to set the foundation for why we'd actually want a, a calling and enjoy it. I've done a lot of bashing of callings so far, um, but let's look at kind of what Jesus intends for them. And I, and I think this whole passage sums up very precisely um, why it's exhilarating to have a calling and to do ambitious um, uh, things for God. And I think it comes down to what we see in this passage, which is there is a very finely balanced mixture of things going on in this passage. Um, uh, it's sort of a balance of two things that seem to be opposed to each other, but they're not. not they're not. They actually work well together. And so on the one hand, God sets up his callings in such a way that absolutely, yes, we have his support, okay? We definitely have his support. We have power from the Holy Spirit. But we are also, in many ways, on our own. And that gives us space to use our personalities, relationships, initiative, which are all gifts from God. And this semi-autonomous arrangement is, I think, very appealing and can be the springboard for many big things. So let's see where we see the support aspect. You see it here when, um, when, when, when Luke says this. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that tells us, We'll have power. We'll have the company, the real-time, every day, every moment uh, presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and that's in our lives all the time. And we'll get that from God um, whenever we do something for him. I was going to make a, a Wall Street joke right now, and you know, but it, it could be a little kind of niche. Can I? Is it okay? A little, a little bit finance bro, you know, joke. Okay, so like, I'm trying to decide whether the Holy Spirit is like. Like the LP or the GP? In it. What do you think? Yeah, that's it. I went for it. Huh? That didn't go well. Okay. Is it the LP or the GP? Which one? Give me an answer. GP. Okay, right. Why? He's the manager. Okay, right. Okay, Chris. Nice one. Are you a GP or an LP? LP. Yeah, okay. Right. Okay. No one knows what we're talking about. Yeah. So, so niche. Okay. Um, so we definitely get to enjoy God's support, right? And, 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 this, but, and that's there. We, we know this. We felt this in our lives, and we pray for it, you know, all the time, and it's great, and it happens. Um, but there is also separateness, okay? There is no physical presence of God. You know, Jesus ascended. You know, the disciples were left gazing in the void. Look at that in this part of the passage. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, you can be like, oh my goodness, he's gone? <laughs> um, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So they're very much on their own now. They're separate. And as people of faith, we live in a very strange place. You know, we put a great deal of faith and hope in someone who is not physically with us. But we also believe 100% that, that he is with us spiritually. And he does do very concrete things in our lives and in the lives of others. And it's a very weird place to operate, right? We sometimes have to just step back and recognize that that's sometimes why it might be kind of trying. And... One way to deal with this arrangement, okay, I'm not saying this is the right way, is, to, is not to expect too much of God. 
you know, he's not here. I mean, I can pray, some things might happen, you know, what can we expect? But if you, if you do that, you might not have any real calling on your lives, and what you do end up doing might be really weak tea as a result. But the other thing is, like, to, to sort of assume that, like, you know, it, it's to just try too hard, you know, and make life utterly dependent on God coming through, you know, in some big way. And, you know, you can embrace the callings in your lives, but, but, but if it doesn't happen, it starts to feel like, you know, like you've been let down, and then you ignore those feelings, and you keep pressing on. And so, you know, you might declare, you know, God, actually, you are in this. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing this. And as people are doing this with you, they sort of, you know, feel like they have to choose between, like, you know, saying something or not. And, um, and people get burned along the way when things don't turn out as planned, if we make things utterly dependent on things happening, right? So that's the other thing that can happen. So what's the way forward? And I, and I think what we need to do is just embrace the mixture as it's described in this passage. So yes, we have God's support. He's going to do things for us. But we're also separate, and we won't know why certain things are happening sometimes. And there's something very important in that mixture, I feel. And I think there's something very important in like getting that balance right and embracing it. And we kind of already know that from real life. We know we can go back to those feelings we've had when we've done something from church and it's worked out and, like, it's been great. Um, you can also do it, like, you know, like you can remember sort of maybe from, from a non-church scenario, like when you went off to college for the first time, okay? It was daunting. Um, but you also had, like, you know, you knew your parents were back at home or if you were traveling to work for another country to, like, get some sort of deal done or, in my case, get a story, get the details for a story, you kind of feel like it's a very fraught thing because you might not get it, but you knew your kind of employer back there is, is backing you. So you get a, a sense of adventure and opportunity in all of that, you know, going off to college, doing stuff. But at the same time, you have sponsors, you're not alone, and that's... And, that, and you get camaraderie along the way. And that's all such fun when it happens. It's exhilarating. It's the sharing of the unknown with, with your friends and things like that. And um, if you think about it, the, the disciples at this point must have been in some degree of trauma. They, they had seen Jesus crucified. Um, you know, we just look at it as something in a book sometimes, but they had lived it, you know. They had sort of like <laughs> seen him suffer in utter agony, die. Um, so that's trauma-inducing, right, seeing him die. And then there's the sort of like incredible, amazing event of him being resurrected, and then him being, you know, taken off to heaven. And it, it's, it's, it's like a difficult time for them, but they're together, they're together, and they, and they, you know, they have a lot of help from Jesus because, like, I love the way that he sends those two men in, like, white robes to just help with that final bit of the transition. That's a kind of nice thing that will kind of, like, tamp down the, the trauma a bit. But what you see as you read on in the book of Acts is that they kind of rise to this challenge. Their, their camaraderie deepens, and, yeah, they fall out, but they get back together again, and they do amazing things in taking the gospel all the way around their region. And, and I would argue that it was Jesus' leaving them that put them in a position that they would do the things that they did later. Of course the Holy Spirit was there, but they had to be left on their own to receive the Holy Spirit fully, I think. Right? And so that combination of separateness and God's presence, that semi-autonomous kind of like reality that they then lived in, probably set them up for success. And they embraced it. And when they embraced it, things worked out. 
Not without any problems, but they did work out. So as we look at how to get callings right, this would be my first practical suggestion, okay? Let our separateness from God be an exciting thing. You know, like I've tried to emphasize here, separate does not mean distant, and it does not mean disconnected, okay? It means that to a large extent, we are meant to strike out on our own. You know, we have God's backing, you know, through the awesome power of the Holy Spirit, and they're, they're, but there will be times when we have to set off and do things that are enterprising in nature, and we won't know if they're going to work or not. And my thought today is that, like, we should really enjoy that. We should really see that as an opportunity. And, and we should see that as an opportunity because perhaps, perhaps that's the only way to get things done. You know, we're here on earth. You know, we've been given this autonomy, this agency, this freedom to do creative, interesting, engaging, powerful things for God. And so in a way, Jesus has kind of handed us this baton and said, run with it. You're not alone, but I do expect some kind of enterprising response. There's kind of an implied challenge there from Jesus when he makes those remarks before he ascends. And there is fruit to that. Things do happen. I mean, that's kind of how this church was started and built over the years. That's how much of what happens here in this church happens and, folks, there's always room for more. I mean, because we're talking about the, the unlimited resources of the kingdom of God being poured into any church that, like, wants to connect with God. He will provide. And if we say yes and we take this approach, things, more things will happen, okay? So please think about how you might want to be involved in the river in, in greater ways or, or, or new ways. And we'll talk about that in a second. There's, there's plenty of things to do, Okay. Uh, my second practical suggestion is this. Uh, let, our, let love be our motivation. And I wanted to look at Jesus' very last words again uh, before he ascends. He says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the use of the word witness here is important because to me it reveals kind of how doable and, and, and how unforced callings can be, all right? You know, if you think about it, a witness does two things, okay? He or she observes something, and then he or she tells other people about what was just observed. And, you know, so if I witness a crime, and then I appear in court as a witness, I tell others about that crime. I witness the thing, I'm a witness in court. And in the same way... I think we're, you know, consistently witnessing what God is doing in our lives. You know, as we sort of have a sort of healthy, connected relationship with Jesus, you know, things will happen. Thoughts will pop into our head. Like, we'll have certain feelings. We'll take certain initiatives. We'll be like, you know, there'll be so much to sort of like, you know, think about and, you know, you know, just enjoy that it will give rise for us to speak about that to other people. You know, witnesses witness about what they've witnessed. And, and, and that's especially the case with, with God's love because it has a sort of uncontainable nature. You know, we receive it, we enjoy it, we engage with it, and as that happens, it can't help but come kind of oozing out of us. You know, forgive the picture there, okay? But um, it's sort of oozing 
you know, all the time in different ways. And, and, and you could say that a calling is kind of a way of harnessing that overflowing love and putting it to work in a specific kind of organized endeavor that enables other people to experience that love. Okay, so through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have that love in our lives. It's not in short supply. It's infectious. It oozes. So let's take it, let's channel it, and empower us to do something specific for God. And, and you want to know how important that point is? It's so important that I got Caroline to do some of her special drawings to illustrate it, okay, in the context of this passage, okay? So here we go. This, this, is the th- this is the one thing you'll remember from today's sermon, okay? It's the drawings, you know. Um, so, yeah. So the first is Jesus ascends to heaven. Uh, you know, we're separate, um, but we do have the presence of the Holy Spirit who comes down, who strengthens the bonds between us and God and gives us inspiration and power. And that love God has for us is always with us. It's abundant in nature. And if we take it seriously and start to live in peace with our neighbors and seek connection with them, that love will be felt by others. Yeah? Get it? The drawing makes it far clearer than me. Um, Not only that, it it will provide the the motivation, the true motivation to keep doing things for God, okay? And as you see here, the witness cannot help but witness. Okay, we'll come back to that drawing in a second. I don't want to get rid of them completely. So my, my third practical suggestion is this. Feel free to start with a blank slate, okay? One of the reasons that I chose this scripture to look at the Ascension uh, and not the others is that in the others, Jesus gives super precise instructions on what the, the, you know, what the disciples should do, you know, go off and like, you know, you know, let the blind see and things like that. And they're all exciting, and we should definitely take them seriously, and we do. We pray for things like healing at the river. But today, I wanted to use a passage where, you know, this great commission, or whatever it's called, this sort of invitation for an adventure, uh, was, was, you know, Jesus used a broad word. Um, and so witnessing is, is that word, and anyone can fit under the witness umbrella, I think. And, you know, and out of our different witnessing, we will, over time, have lots of different callings, okay? And there are many different things that can arise when we start with a blank slate, you know, and say, okay, well, what, what would I really like to do? What would I want to do? What, what can I do in the context of this church? And, and, so, uh, and so, like, you know, here, here are some thoughts on how we can sort of, like, you know, rustle some of those things up. And I think we start by spending some time just exploring what's going on around us, you know, in our lives, in our relationships, workplaces, in our culture, in our society, and and just pray constantly, you know, Jesus, help me see as you see. And I love the line uh, by Richard Rohr, a Catholic theologian that Carolyn used a few weeks back to describe contemplation. Um, Richard Rohr said, it's taking a long, loving look at the real Okay, a long, loving look at the real. We should do that daily, you know, and just let whatever comes out of that speak to us. And, you know, definitely a lot will start to bubble up in our minds as we take a long, loving look at the real. And then we should speak to God about what's there, you know. We could say sometimes, you know, if we get a certain kind of, like, nudge, you know, is this a starting point to extend your love into the lives of others? Could this be maybe the beginning of something I should 
you know, maybe talk to others about? Um, what might be some first steps? You know, what are the potential pitfalls? Uh, can I do this in ways that with other people? Would it be fun for them? Um, you know, maybe think about the idea and then discuss it with a friend at church. Get some input. You know, don't be offended if somebody's not 100% enthusiastic, you know, about the idea. Embrace the feedback. Don't dismiss it out of hand. Take it as a strengthening exercise. You know, and then, you know, take it where you need to take it after that. Maybe bring it to somebody like in your group at church and talk about it there. And I'm sure they'd be very receptive. Um, you know, and... And so that, that could be really fun, you know. And so just allow that sort of um, nudging to take place. It might also take you down a, a slightly different path where you feel like you want to be involved in something that we're already doing here at the river. I mean, that would be fantastic. We have plenty of things for people to do. And pitching in is one of those great ways in which we can learn and grow as uh, people of faith. So if, if that appeals to you, come and speak to us about that. You know, we have, we don't have a ton of money here, but we have pl plenty of opportunity and space uh, for, for, to do things. And we definitely have, um, you know, God's love. Um, and so we can absolutely do this. We can absolutely do this at the river, okay? So let me just, with that drawing up here, just look at it for a few seconds and then I'll pray for us and we'll be done, okay? So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would initiate like a, a time of creativity in people's lives, a time of, of um, you know, a sense of opportunity would, would be deposited in them now and that they would start to think about some of the things they've always wanted to do or new things they want to do um, in your kingdom, Jesus. And I pray that you would start to put flesh on the bone. There would be details and there would be an excitement. And as we, as we pursue those things in this church, Lord, you would make them fun. There would be great relationships born out of them and that you would watch over us and you would keep us doing these things in a way that maintains just how great they are. So, Lord, we ask for your blessing upon those things in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.